0: Everybody else that's remaining can open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we're going to camp out today. Now, there's one thing that every senior in high school looks forward to, and that is graduation. But before graduation, at least when I was growing up, there was Senior Skip Day. It was Senior Skip Day... 1990, and your pastor did something very stupid on that skip day. We took a group of about 10 of us from Colorado Springs, and we were going to go to the great sand dunes around Alamosa. And so we went to the sand dunes and we played around there. And it was about three o'clock in the afternoon, and I had this great idea hey, let's go keep going further west. I know this place over by Wolf Creek Pass, there's a bunch of hiking trails, there's hot springs, there's places to camp, let's go that way. Okay, Sean, let's do that. So we decided to go, and we went almost to Wolf Creek Pass, we got to the camping area that I had known, and we began to set up our tents, and it was about 5 o'clock at night, and and I had this great idea, hey, let's hike up to the hot springs, it's awesome, you you need to go up there, and so uh, we began to hike up to the hot springs. And what I failed to remember is that it's about a four to five hour hike on a good day. And it's about five o'clock at night. And so I'm all hiking up there and everybody's getting frustrated with me like, Sean, what are you doing? Why are you leading us on this wild goose chase? Well, I know it's just around the corner. I know it's just around the corner. And finally, they began bailing on me and going back down the mountain. I said, I know it's just around the corner. So what I decided to do was run ahead to see how far it was. So I started running about a mile not really running, and realized it's a a long ways away. And probably by this time, they've headed back down the mountain. So here is your pastor up in the middle of the mountains with no water, no flashlight, in his shorts. At the end of May, there's still patches of snow. And I realized that I'm a stupid young high schooler. And so I begin to, it's pitch black by this time, it's dark. So I decide I better get back down the mountain. So I'm like, you know what, I don't like being up here by myself, because I'm hearing like weird animal noises, and just, it's not a good thing to be in the dark, in the woods, by yourself, without a flashlight. So I began to run down, and needless to say, I landed into this um, snow embankment about waist deep. It was like it's like being in quicksand, and I'm like, oh, great. I've got shorts on, and so I'm trying to wiggle my way out of this. I finally wiggle my way out of it and get down the mountain, and everybody just looks at me with this, like, really stupid look on their face like, you're an idiot, and, and I was because here's the thing. I decided to trek up a mountain in pitch black without a flashlight, which is dangerous, which is stupid, walking in the dark without A light. Now, the 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 valuable lesson I learned is don't be a stupid teenager that hikes in the Colorado mountains at night with wild animals in the dark without a flashlight. Now, most people here probably know that, right? But I was so caught up in trying to impress my friends and being all crazy that um, I did something really stupid. I was walking in darkness without a light. Now, why do I draw your attention? to walking in darkness without a light? Well, it's because it is the major theme as we move into chapter 8. Now, some of you thought I was going to be preaching on chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But I want you to notice a footnote or a bracket or something in your Bible that says, hopefully there's some type of footnote or bracket, the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 through 811. This is the woman caught in adultery. I'm going to skip over that because I do not believe contextually or chronologically it belongs here. And I will explain that when I get back from India as to why I'm skipping over that. But as we go to chapter 8, verse 12, that's really where the story picks back up. And I'm going to explain that because Jesus is still teaching in the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, really, chapter 8, verse 12, really picks up where we just left off last week. Somehow, our modern-day translators have put in this woman caught in adultery. I'll explain all of that in a few weeks. But what I want to begin by showing you is that there are some major thematic and symbolic images in the Old Testament that really shed light upon who Jesus is in the New Testament. Now, you may not have consciously known what we've been doing the past few months, but chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 all bring allusions to what happened to Israel during the exodus when they were wandering in the wilderness. What did we find out about Jesus in John chapter 6? He is the bread of life, the true bread that comes down from heaven. How did God feed the Israelites in the wilderness? With bread. What did we look at last week? He is the true source of living water. How did God provide for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness? He, he, he hit the, the rock with the, with the stick, and, and out came flowing water. As we get to chapter 8, there's another image. In the Old Testament, there was the pillar of fire that led the people by night, a pillar of smoke that led the people by day. So think about three million or so Israelites in the wilderness, and there's no flashlights back then except for God's flashlight. God's flashlight is this huge pillar of fire coming from the sky to guide them, to lead them, to protect them as they're wandering at night. This pillar of fire. We don't know how big it is, but it was big enough for for three million people to see it. Now, Exodus chapter 13, 21 through 22 tells us about this huge flashlight of God in the Old Testament. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from them or did not depart from the people. What was the purpose of the pillar of fire? It was to lead the people as they were going through the wilderness. It was was this visible symbol coming to them in the sky that God was with them. God would not depart from them. God would care for them. God would love them. God would lead them. At the end of Exodus, we find out that the nation of Israel would not move. They would not go anywhere unless the pillar left the tabernacle and began to move. And they would follow it. They, they wouldn't chart their own course until they saw the pillar of fire or the pillar of smoke move. We see this in Exodus chapter 40, 36 through 38. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. It was a visible reminder of God's presence, God's power, God's grace, God's leadership, a pillar of fire. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm seventy-eight, fourteen: In the daytime, he led them with the cloud all the night with the fiery light. God led them with a fiery light. Now, in the the book of Nehemiah, when Ezra is praying, Ezra is praying and he's reminded of this event in the Old Testament. In Nehemiah 9.19, he's praying to God, God, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them for them the way by which they should go. It's it's your act of mercy, it's your act of grace, it's your act of provision. So the pillar of fire was God's visible reminder to the nation that he was with them, that he was leading them, that he loved them, that he cared for them, that he was guiding them. So they wouldn't walk in darkness, they wouldn't walk in confusion, they would have a leader. And how did God lead them? With a pillar of fire. God would not abandon them, God would not leave them for dead in the wilderness, he would lead them. Now, you may think to yourself, that's great trivia, Pastor Sean. Next time there's Bible trivia, I will know about the pillar of fire. But I want to show you something very significant about our passage of Scripture today. Jesus is still teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles in the temple Remember last week I said there was this huge water parade. Remember the water parade we talked about last week? What did the priest do? The priest would go from the temple with the golden pitcher and they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would drop the pitcher in the water and they would bring it back and they would pour water on the altar and everybody would sing psalms and hymns and praises. There was this big water parade. It went at seven days and then on the seventh day there were seven times they did that and then on the eighth day there was the the day of silence. There was the big water parade. But there was another Crucial event that happened on the Feast of Tabernacles that I failed to tell you purposely. In the court of women on the last day, there was what was called the lighting of the candles. So picture in your mind a menorah, four huge menorahs with these huge bowls of oil to give them fuel. And the priest had to climb up on ladders to get to these menorah-like candles, and they were lit. And when the candles were lit, it was a reminder to the people of how God provided for them in the wilderness with the pillar of fire. So the lighting of the candles was to remind them of the pillar of fire, and so they're in the temple, there's this lighting of the candle ceremony, and so light illuminates the entire temple complex. Now keep that in your mind. Keep that in your mind. Pillar of fire, lighting of candles, huge candelabras. Now let's read John 8, 12 with that imagery in your mind. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the second I am statement that Jesus gives. There's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. The first is I am the bread of life. This is the second. I am, and literally in the Greek, I myself, I am the light of the world. He is going to be everything to the world that God was to Israel in that pillar of fire that led them through the wilderness. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what's he really saying? What's he saying? He's saying he leads us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He's God's presence with us. He's going to sovereignly lead us He is the visible reminder that God's not abandoning us. He is our light. Later on in Nehemiah that we just read earlier when he continues to pray to the Lord about the light, the pillar of fire, in Nehemiah 9, 20-21, listen to what Nehemiah says in relation to, to taking care of Israel in the wilderness. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. Manna, Jesus, I am the bread of life. And you gave them water for their thirst. Last week, if you follow me, if you come to me, if you drink from me, you'll you'll have streams of living water. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. God in the wilderness was their source of bread, He was their source of water, He was their source of light. Chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Chapter 7, Jesus says, I am the source of living water. Here in chapter 8, Jesus says, I am your light. And not just for the Israelites, but what does he say? I am the light of the the world. And so Jesus stands before them as the bread of life, as the living water, as the light of the world. How are they going to respond to who Jesus is? Here's his main point. Jesus is going to continue teaching, preaching. There's Pharisees there. There's crowds there. Here's his main point. You will die in your sins if you do not follow Jesus as the light of the world. And these aren't my words. These are Jesus' words as we will see here in a few moments. You will die in your sins if you do not follow Jesus as the light of the world. So as I was doing study this past week, In diving into this passage of scripture, as often as I do in sermon prep, I begin to ask questions of the text. Just begin to ask some questions. And so, what I want to do is let's ask four questions. Four questions that I have as I'm reading this, that may be four questions you have, that really help us understand who Jesus is, what his mission is, and how we respond to Jesus. Here's question number one What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Notice what he says there in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me. Now, it's interesting. He changes terminology on us. What has he been saying all along? Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, whoever drinks of me. And now he switches gears and says, whoever follows me. Follows me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well think back to the Old Testament for a moment. What was the pillar of fire? It was this huge visible reminder that led the people as they're wandering in darkness, as they're wandering in confusion, they kept their eyes on the pillar of fire and they followed it wherever it went. That's all Jesus is saying. I'm that fire. I'm that light, I'm that source of joy, I'm that source of protection, I'm your sovereign, I'm your leader, keep your eyes fixed on me and follow me. Walk after me, pursue me. It really means to recognize that Jesus is our only source of light, our only source of provision, our only source of salvation, and we follow him no matter what it costs. That we follow him. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke, Luke nine twenty three through twenty four. He said to all, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his my, for his sake, for my whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Follow Jesus. Now." Revelation 14.14 14 has an interesting statement, too, about believers. Revelation 14.14, 14, It is they, it is these, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. Do you follow Jesus wherever He goes? Now, when Jesus says... Whoever follows me, it's in a present tense verb, which means continuous action. Not just a one-time, hey, I decided to follow Jesus a long time ago. No, it's a, I am daily, constantly following behind Jesus as my light, because he's my only source of light, and I'm choosing to follow him, no matter what the cost. I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to take up my cross daily, and I'm going to follow him. You guys know Bordendary? Ever heard of Bordendary? The dairy company Borden. You're yeah, like now I hear it. not isn't there, isn't there like a picture of a cow or something on there? Okay, well William Borden was one of the sons that was set to inherit the company. He was to become a multimillionaire as he graduated from high school. This was back in 1904. He was poised to take over this multi-billion-dollar company. And as a gift for his graduation, his parents gave him a cruise around the world. And so, as a young college or a young high school graduate, he goes on this cruise, and what happens is something amazing. God begins to put a burden on his heart to become a missionary. He begins to have a heart for the nations. His heart begins to break for the lostness that he sees, especially in China, especially among Muslims in China. He goes back to his parents and says, God's calling me to be a missionary. And I can't take over the family business and become a millionaire. And they said, are you crazy? You cannot just go do that. So he came home. He went to Yale University. Later went on to seminary. And when he graduated from seminary, he gave away all of his wealth. Gave away all of his inheritance. He, He was no longer a millionaire. He was just like you and me, a normal guy. And so he had a passion to go to China. And in the flyleaf of his Bible, he had written one word, no reserves. I'm not going to keep anything here that's going to tie me down from going to China, no reserves. And so he goes to China. But before he gets to China, he has to go to Egypt. In Egypt... There's another little thing written on the flyleaf of his Bible. No retreat. I'm not going to go back. No reserves, no retreat. Well, here's what happened while he was in Egypt. He contracted cerebral meningitis, and he died within three weeks. Never made it to China. Never got to be a missionary. His parents came and found his Bible, and there was one last word written underneath. No reserves, no retreat. The third word was no regrets. No regrets. Here you had a young man who had it all, he could become the heir to a multi-million dollar company, but his passion for the nations and his passion for the Lord meant that he took all of that aside And said, I'm willing to follow Jesus no matter what it costs me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We follow him wherever he leads us. So that's what question number one. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We see him as our only source of joy, our only source of salvation, and we follow him. Second question. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Notice what he says there in verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, is he talking about physical darkness here? No, he's talking about spiritual darkness. But I find it interesting. I pay attention to the words of Jesus. Notice what he says. Whoever walks. He didn't say whoever sits in darkness. He says walks. When the Bible talks about walking, almost always it talks about your lifestyle. The course of your life, who you are. Are you continually, as a lifestyle, walking in spiritual darkness? Is the habit, is the pattern, is the overall course of your life one of darkness? Are you walking in darkness? You know, at Christmas time, we read Isaiah 9 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a deep land of deep darkness, on them the light is shown. That's a prophecy about Jesus coming as the light of the world so that people will no longer walk in darkness. John 12, 46, later on, we'll get to this in a few months, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So, so what is darkness? Let me give you two examples that the Bible gives of walking in darkness. Here's number one, it's from Romans. Romans 13, 12 through 14. Paul says the night... to gratify its desires. Cast off the works of darkness. What's one example of walking in darkness? Paul says it's sexual immorality. If you're living in sexual immorality, if you're living in habitual, unrepentant sexual sin, you are walking in darkness. And he says, cast it off. Put it off. Get rid of it. Let me give you another example. Besides sexual immorality of walking in darkness, 1 John 2.11 This is the same author, but this is his letter, 1 John 2.11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here's the second example of walking in darkness. Number one, sexual immorality. Number two is how you treat people. Do you hate people? Do you mistreat people? Do you especially hate other believers? He says, if you hate your brother, you're walking in darkness darkness so those are just some examples but notice what jesus says here back in our text whoever follows me will not walk in darkness will not double negative in the greek which we could translate no not ever you will never no, not ever walk in darkness paul says in ephesians 5 8 for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light Paul says you were darkness. Jesus says you walked in darkness. But what has God done in his amazing grace? When Christ is the light of the world comes and saves you, what does he do to you spiritually? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 tells us he has delivered us, delivered us from where? The domain of darkness. And where has he de- taken us? He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we've been taken out of darkness and now we're in God's family. We're in God's kingdom. 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who did what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're a Christian here, you will never walk in darkness again, because Jesus has rescued you from that. But notice what Jesus says there in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have... The light of life. You'll have the light of life. Now, what does it mean to have the light of life? Who is the light of life? It's Jesus. What's he saying is, you're going to have me. You will gain me. I'm the end goal. I'm the prize. Notice that Jesus didn't say you might have the light of life. If you try really hard, you'll get the light of life. If you do enough good deeds to earn it. No, what does he say? You will have the light of life. So questions. Questions. Number one, have you decided to follow Jesus? And number two, are you walking in darkness? Have you been rescued from darkness into marvelous light? Now, let's see the reaction to this bold statement. Because there is a reaction, and it's not good. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. So the Pharisee said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me, he's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Pharisees basically say, you're lying, you've not produced a good witness, who are you? You're you're a lunatic, You're, you're, you're talking some strange things, how dare you come in and interrupt the Feast of Tabernacles and present yourself as the light of the world? Who are you? Now what does Jesus keep saying? My Father, my Father, my Father, my Father, my Father bears witness, I'm sent from my Father, which leads us to the third question. Here's the question. What is this dynamic relationship between the Father and the Son? I mean, Jesus' answers, everything Jesus answers is about him and the Father. Now, what did the Old Testament require as far as a testimony? You had to have two or at least three witnesses to have a valid testimony. So Jesus says, here's the, here's the witnesses. I'm witness number one, and I brought along my Father. He's witness number two. What are they saying? Where's your Father? I don't see him. Who is he? Jesus is like, you not understanding. And so, there's a lot of things that happen between Jesus and the Father. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus came from the Father. He's going back to the Father. Verse 16, Jesus judges. The Father judges. Verse 17 and 18, Jesus bears witness. The Father bears witness. Verse 19, they don't know Jesus. They don't know the Father. Verse 26, Jesus says, What I've learned from my Father, I'm declaring to you. Verse 28, I'm speaking on the authority of my Father. Verse 29, my father's not left me alone. I and the Father are together. And here's the statement about the life of Jesus. Verse 29, I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. You want an answer, Pharisees? Here's the answer. I and the Father are one and I do everything that pleases the Father. The Father is the one that's bearing witness about me because I have this unique relationship with the Father. I do everything that's pleasing to the Father. Nobody else can say that. Not one of us here can say, everything I do pleases the Father except for Jesus, who's the Son of God. Now, why is that important to you? Well, there's a lot of people that have generic belief in God. Athletes. Movie stars will generically say they believe in God, but that's not enough. You can't just believe in God. What does Jesus say? You've got to know me in order to know the Father. It's not just this generic belief in God, it's a belief in Christ in order to have a relationship with God. What does Jesus say in John 14, 6? Jesus said to him, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to me. no one comes to the Father except through me." So Jesus is basically saying, "I and the Father have this unique relationship. If you have a problem with where I came from, take it up with the Father. Where's your father? They want him to produce his physical father. They do not understand. And so here's the fourth question. Jesus calls them on it. Here's the fourth question: What does it mean to die in your sins? What does he say in verse 21? He said to them again, I'm going away, you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Notice the careful wording of Jesus. You will die in your sin, singular. What is this sin that they're going to die in? Scholars have debated this. Basically what I think he's saying is, you are going to commit the sin, singular, of rejecting me as I'm standing right in front of you as the light of the world. And that will send you to hell. You will die in your sin. What is the consequence of dying in your sin? What does that mean? Well, earlier in John three thirty six, Jesus said this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you die in your sin without believing in Jesus, God's wrath remains on you, which means that your only place that you will go is hell. To die in your sins means that you cannot pay for your sins, you're accountable for your sins, your sins have not been forgiven, you will experience the justice of God, the wages of God. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's a wage? It's something that you work for and you get. So here's the imagery Paul's saying, your life, you're stacking sin upon sin upon sin upon sin, and when you die, guess what? You get paid. What's your payment? Payment. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. In Hebrews 9.27, we looked at this last week, but I want to remind you again this week. Just that a appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I mean, we could go on and on about this. Here's the point. Jesus says, if you die without your sins being forgiven by Jesus, you will face his wrath, you will face his justice, you will face his judgment, you will face hell. And God does not just brush your sin under the carpet. God is not some cosmic grandfather up in the sky that just kind of chuckles when we sin. It is a big deal to a holy God. We deserve hell. God is not obligated to save us, but he sent Jesus as the light of the world to die for our sins, and we must follow Him, and believe Him. If you do not, Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, if you do not, you will die in your sin and face judgment. Now, notice verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, uh, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. uh. Okay, I just did that for emphasis. Verse 21, it was sin, singular. Verse 24, sins, plural. Plural. Which one is it, Jesus? Here's what you need to understand. You commit sins plural, because at the core of your being, you are a sinner. Jesus dies for your sin, who you are as a sinner, and He dies for the sins that you commit out of the sin of your heart. And I think that's what Jesus is saying is, if you have gotten to that point where you, where you know that you are a sinner... You will be held accountable not only for being a sinner, but for the sins that you commit as a sinner. But the second thing I want you to notice there in verse 24 is the language. Let me give it to you in the original Greek. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am. That's what Jesus says. You need to believe that I am. Now, earlier he said, I am the light of the world. Can anybody just stand up and say, I am? I'm Sean. I'm blonde. I am six foot two. I am Don's husband. But I can't just stand up before you and say, I am. Well, you're what? No, I just am. No, you are something. No, I am. Who's the only one that can say, I am, period? the one that created everything, that does no needs, the great I am, God, who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. And Jesus stands there in front of them and says, hey, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Now that, got to, that had to get their blood boiling. Because only God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, only that God, our God, is the I am. And how dare you, Jesus, say, I am. Remember what God said to Moses in the burning bush? Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am, and he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you. And what does Jesus say in verse 24? Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the self-existent God. Jesus is the God that has no needs. Jesus is the great I am. Isaiah 43.10, Almost the exact same wording as Jesus here. So let's look at verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Let's read Isaiah 43.10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. What's Jesus saying? Pharisees, everyone listening, I am the light of the world. I am the pillar of fire that led Israel. I am the God that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. I am the God that created. I am. Unless you believe I am, what's your fate? You will die in your sins. And I love how they asked the question, the $10 million question, verse 25. Don't you love it? So they said to him, who are you? Who are you? Now, we're all laughing, but that's the most important question you can ask. Actually, there's two important questions you can ask today. Jesus, who are you? That's question number one. It's an important question. And question number two is just as important. Okay, in light of who you are, how will I respond to you? Who are you, Jesus? You're the light of the world. You're the one who is the Savior. You are the King. You are the ruler. You are the one who died and rose again. You are the great I Am. That's who you are, Jesus. Okay, in light of that, how do I respond to you? What does Jesus say? Unless you follow me, you're going to walk in darkness. Unless you believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. How do you respond? Now, verse 30 is cryptic. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, now what what do we think about that? Are we quite sure what type of belief this is? Because have not people believed in him all through John and really not believed in him? So he kind of leaves us hanging. But here's the real question for you. How do you Personally, respond to Jesus as the light of the world. Verse 28 is important. What does he, he say in verse 28? Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. When you've lifted up the Son of Man. What's he talking about there? Pharisees, when you've hung me on a cross, And I'm dying there as the Lamb of God and the world gets dark and I cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the temple veil is torn in two and I spring forth from the tomb. Then you're going to know I am. But it may be too late. Because if you die in your sins, you will not inherit eternal life. So how do you respond to Jesus who's lifted up on a cross to die? How do you respond to Jesus who's the light of the world? How do you respond to Jesus who will never have you walk in darkness? How do you respond to Jesus when he says, you must follow me? How do you respond to Jesus who says, unless you follow him as the light of the world, you will die in your sins? How do you respond to this? You can't just walk out of here and say, that's a cool message, Pastor Sean. Jesus himself will not allow that who is Jesus, how are you going to respond, are the two most important questions that every single person in this room has to ask. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to wrestle with those two questions. Jesus, who are you really? And Jesus, what is my response to you? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Would you spend some time in prayer to Jesus this morning? Jesus, you're very clear in this passage of Scripture. You're very clear. There's, there's no way we can mistake what you're saying. Lord Jesus, we cannot walk out of this place saying we didn't understand. You have made it very clear to us. You are the light of the world. You call us to follow you. You call us to no longer walk in darkness. And you clearly tell us, if we do not believe that you are the great I am, that you are the light of the world, we will die in our sins and face eternal hell. So Lord, my prayer is that every single person in this room has come to that point personally in their life where they can confess you as the light of the world. They can confess you as their leader. They can confess you as the one that guides them and leads them and protects them, that you are their source of light. And they've repented of their sins and they're no longer walking in darkness, but they're following you And that everybody that leaves this place would have the assurance that they would not die in their sins, that they would die being forgiven of their sins and have eternal life in Christ. Would you confirm that in hearts this morning, Lord? There may be people in this room that are struggling with these truths, struggling with belief, under conviction of sin. Hesitant to follow you, Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd break through that resistance. You'd break through that rebellion. And you would liberate people from that guilt and sin and grant new life, cause them to be born again. that every single one of us leaving this room would have the hope of eternal life. We would not fear dying in our sins, but we would rejoice that we have Jesus, you, as the light of the world, as our Savior and Lord. Lord, I do pray a special prayer just for our team that's leaving for India tomorrow. Would you help us to go with that message that you're the light of the world? Lord, we're going to a dark place. A place of Hinduism. A place of tribal deities. A place of oppression. And Father, we may be walking literally through spiritual darkness all around us. Would we shine the light of Christ and tell others that you are the light of the world? There is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege of being your children. Thank you that you have rescued us from darkness and brought us into light. We love you, we honor you, we praise you. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen.